Hello and welcome to another episode of Pipeline to Profitability. I'm Alan Ferguson. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Service Success Academy. So today I'm proud to bring back the one and only Al Levy. Al Levy's been on this podcast a couple of times now. For those that don't know who Al is, he's the founder of the Seven Power Contractor. And today we're going to cover uh, process manuals, uh, org charts, and um, yeah, Al is the expert in this area. In my view, he's helped uh, Tommy Mello to build a $200 million plus a year a garage door business and many other successful contractors, including his own contracting company. So uh, best we, uh, we get Al into the podcast and uh, look forward to having some fun. Hey Al, I, I thought I want to thank you again for uh, joining me on the third time round with the Pipeline to Profitability podcast. And um, I have to apologise, I was in your backyard last week, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and got to caught up with got got to catch up with Tommy Mello and and saw Ken Goodrich and a lot of other the big guns in the industry. But I never got to come and see the biggest gun of them all, being Al Levi. And um, but yeah, today, uh, thanks, Al. Uh, and maybe we can. I want to spend a bit of time talking about processes and all the cool stuff that you're doing with manuals. And uh, you might want to, you know, tell us what's happening at A One Garage Doors as well, buddy. Yeah, so uh, it's been exciting. But you know, we obviously have known each other and talked for quite a while, and uh, actually got to meet each other in Australia. So. Um, the reality is that one of the things myself, my business, I always talked about, I was in plumbing, heating, cooling, electric. We did residential, commercial, industrial back in New York. And uh, business was started in 1936 out of a gas station. And it was pretty crazy through the 90s. <laughs> 60 years later is when we finally realized, uh, wait a second, we don't have org charts. We don't have manuals. We don't have training. And we just throw people to the wolves, if you will. And that was when, you know, I had gone to Nextar. And realized, you know, that there had to be some systems and processes. And I read the greatest book that probably changed my whole life of my career. Funny part is, Al, it was very popular 30 years ago. And now it's got a new life again. And that's Michael Gerber's E-Myth. Huh. And it told me why things didn't work. Because I was always working in the business and never on it. And it told me what I needed, which was systems process. But didn't give me much in the way of help. But I'm pretty good at help. And the funny part is now with... You know, all stars like Ken Goodrich, who has, you know, his book has been you know, worked out with Michael Gerber. He's making a second uh, appearance all throughout these days. But I would say to all of the people listening is if you want to really change your company, it, even though it seems like an old book, it's timeless. Michael Gerber's E-Myth really is a, is a great must read for taking control. So that's what changed our life. And that's when I hired my great friend, industry friend, Dan Hollihan, to come in and help us write it, write to do all the meetings that needed to be done. Because before that, Al, <laughs> we, had, we knew we needed manuals, so we wrote a manual. And all I can say is it came out like a law book, you know, Article 1-0.375. It wasn't worth, in those days, the paper it was written on. It didn't change anything at all. And when I went to court as a young man, my court case got tossed out because the judge looked at this big, fat book, and he goes, it's not in plain English. He says, are you running meetings? I go, no. He goes, case dismissed. And I was very crushed. <laughs> I, I <laughs> just I learned a great double, lesson. double back a little bit. Dan Hollihan, that's a name that I know. I don't know if I've met, but 
um, I have followed him many years ago, back in the early day, not long after yeah, the internet yeah. was, was introduced. But you've also talked about uh, Ken Goodrich and uh, and his great book. I I, I um, have been um, I've been blessed to have met Michael Gerber on several occasions at a Nexstar event, yes. at a Service Nation event. He makes the uh, rounds as an 87-year-old. I feel like such a yeah. slacker at 70. Yeah, young man. Uh, I <laughs> never I never really got to know him, but I followed him. But it was only when he started to, uh, yeah, he started to connect with industry influencers like yes. uh, Ken Goodrich, who who rumors have it he's going to um, do a plumbing a plumbing related version because the HVAC version, as much as you can relate it to plumbing, uh, I think the plumbing version will be better because I'm he's a plumber. He's got one for pest control. There's a giant pest <laughs> control out here. Yeah, he's 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 learned how to leverage it into all these other segments. The core of the book is still the same. Yeah, it you is, about, but it's yeah. it's good. You know, the way that Michael and Ken merge their thinking together, it's just, it's a book that I still read and I, and I listen because I, I listen to more books now on Audible, but um, there's some great industry legends that are, that are um, still pushing it. But at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're pushing, uh, we're trying to push everyone back into processes and creating yeah. manuals. So because I work with small companies, you know, less than five trucks and larger companies that have got hundreds of trucks, where is the best place to start, Al, uh, besides connecting with you, of course? Yeah, you know, I think the best thing to do is to break a very important myth here. Well, when I get big, I'll do an org chart. And when I get big, I'll have operating manuals. And what you don't realize is because you don't have the org chart and because you don't have the manuals, you're already capping, capping and getting in the way of your own progress to grow. It's what forces and controls. So when I when I introduce the, the box org chart, because I do a free 30-minute call with people, and I show them the org chart, and I go, this is all the boxes it takes to run companies from 1 million to 200 million. It's exactly wow. the same. He said, the difference is, is when you do a depth chart, you have more people at each position. And with manuals, you can be cross-trained to handle many more of the boxes. But as it exists today, I didn't put you in all those boxes. You were already in those boxes and you didn't know. Mm -hmm. I am freeing you up to understand these are all the boxes. When I do this work, I'm in this box. When I do this work, I'm in this box. And so you understand how you move along. And why is that so important to very small companies is you can't even bring anyone along to really help you until you define the boxes it takes to run your business. And then what goes on in those boxes 80% of the time, not the weird 20, not changing perfection. That's really what takes control of small companies and allows them to scale or a large company to finally gain control. There's only two types of companies that I've worked for the last 20 plus years with, and they are small companies that work really hard. There's usually, you know, family business, partnership. They act like a family business anyway. They work really hard and they hope that the money will follow. And what they find out is always, Alan, is they run out of time, energy and money. They can't create new days of the week. They can't work more than 24 hours at a day and they're stuck. So they need a platform. And that's what the org chart is, the platform or the foundation, and then covering those boxes. So I call the box org chart really like a bingo board. And your job is to cover the boxes on the bingo board. 
The other ones are the really great coaches, like you mentioned, Tommy Mello. When I met him 2017, which seems like it's only six years ago, he was $15 million in losing money. And uh, by the way, I'm not telling anything out of school. He tells the story all the time. He had to take money out of his own pocket to hire me to come in. It was six figures at the time to do that work. And uh, it really began to take him from $15 million in losing money to $15 million in making money and then making a lot of money and then scaling to where he is today, which is $200 million and making a ton of money. And it's still all born out of the same thing, the org charts, the manuals, which then leads to the next most important thing. I'm sure, Alan, you know, during this COVID time, as an industry leader, you hear it as well. Everybody at anywhere and every Facebook group that I was in, oh, I can't find great people. I can't find great people. Well, new to you, but not new to me since 1985. We gave that myth up, you know, your idea that you could get a willing person that would be a great tech. We gave that up. We went with willing apprentices, no skills, to willing techs with great skills. And that starts with manuals, org chart, and then you leverage it into the right hands-on training center. And they're not all born the same. And then a training curriculum, and then you becoming better trainers. There's great training, like you are, you know, partnering with Joe Cunningham and things like that. That's excellent training, not denigrating any of it. Any training you do is excellent. But you do have to do in-house training as well if you're trying to teach your way of doing things, the ABC, XYZ company way of doing things. And then, yes, they can get more training and go out for sales training, go out for more additional higher level technical training. But that's that's really where you want to go if you want to end this problem about where do I find great techs? Because honestly, the majority of guys that I worked with had no tech shortage during this tech crunch we just had. I'm with you. I'd like to expand on that a little bit, Alan. And um, <clears throat> my view on training is um, the importance, you know, when you when you work with great companies like Service Nation and, and Nexstar previously yeah. and, um, you know, hanging around with the likes of Al Levy and uh, Tommy <laughs> Mello and Ken Goodrich, you realise that training is is just so important in everything we do in every position in the company apprentices need just as much training as anyone else and and maybe oh, yeah. vice versa but we we used to um you know i worked with a, another fella uh, by by the name of um of ed o'connell who always talks about his model being two men to a truck now i can't say that um on an efficiency level two men to a truck is a good thing but I recommend if you're training, you do your classroom training and that might be going through the manuals, but your actual training is when you're out in the field and you're doing it. That's the real training. And so we used to put two men in a truck. We'd call it training because your best people can be mentors to your the people that want to learn, whether it's learning how to do a trenchless drain repair or learning how to service um, you know, certain types of appliances in the home. So training is just so important. And it's, it's, I, I feel it's important to be part of an organization, a best practice group, or a smaller training organization, such as the one that me and Joe have with Service Success Academy, or even, uh, I know you do training yourself. And that is, I, I would imagine that when you help a company to implement 
the manuals and all the org charts that that training is probably the most important part, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, they want to eat dessert before they've had eaten their vegetables. <laughs> and the vegetables is the org charts, the manuals, because that's what you need to go to the second program, which is signature staffing systems, which is how you get this pipeline moving. Apprentices to junior techs, junior techs to senior techs. And then instead of appointing people to be field supervisors, there's a program called senior tech to field supervisor that you qualify, you compete, and then I train you. Because no, listen, as a tech, we're not trained on how to supervise anybody other than ourselves at best. And so when I talk about how would they be a boss? Well, if you have no objective standards defined in your manuals and your training, then they're gonna use their opinion and everyone uses a different set of opinions. Also, as to how to be a boss, they watched that movie years ago, Horrible Bosses, and they're gonna be an SOB to everybody or they wanna be everybody's friend. And you and I, Alan, know that that's not, either one of those is right. So they have to qualify, compete and train. And my position in my, on this is, if you're gonna be a field supervisor or a manager, it is a rented position. Every quarter you rent it. Because yeah. if I can't have you good in that box, it means you're sabotaging everyone that reports to you. Your first, second, and third job is to hold everybody accountable to the manuals and the associated training that goes with it so that they can own their box. So you are free at the top to work on your individual KPIs. Very important. I wanted to do one quick second is if you're listening to it, it's confusing, I'm sure, of Al and Alan, <laughs> but the reality is, we are talking about the same thing. We just come at it a little bit differently. So I believe there is a piece of on-the-job training, but it's not where I do all of my training. I do majority of the bulk of the training is in the training center, but I cannot give you all the real-world experience you need. So yes, I need to partner you up with a guy, we used to call them missionary techs or model techs that amplify and, and build on what you trained on. So that in the field, they see great sales performance, great operational performance, and great technical performance if they're service tech. And if they're riding with installers, great communication, great operational behaviors, and great technical behaviors. And that's what really gets them set up to get in their own truck and go make themselves money and make you money and begin to, career, to build their career path. Years ago, my brothers and I just settled on that if we could build this pipeline of never-ending techs, we win. Mm. We win. And here's the good news. It's on to the fourth generation. My nephew is there now mm. with my, my my middle brother who's still there. And they're going and growing. And I've been out 21 plus years. Wow. Yep. Just, I'd like your view on, on a few other, um, because we... We're, we're both aligned with the direction that we're going. And, you know, we've been, we've been in the, I've been in the game a couple of years less than you, but still nonetheless been in the game for a while. And this is, this is my view based on um, not just bringing the greatest trainers from the U S to Australia for many years, like uh, Charlie Greer and uh, Kenny Chapman. Yeah. And, Charlie uh, Greer is great. Kenny Chapman. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You have the all-stars, you know, Cunningham. There's a lot of great guys. Yeah, Cunningham. Really know stuff. Yeah. Matt Michelle, Mark Madison. Yeah. I've had some phenomenal trainers I brought down under, but one something that Joe Cunningham really um, 
push to me, and and this is something that I found in the US, I find a lot more companies, they just want to send their technicians to a training course. And we do technician training. And, and, and I hate to take money from someone if they're not going to get value from the training. So I can definitely train your technicians. The one thing I can't do is hold them accountable when they get back to the company. So I recommend with training, I, I believe that most companies, if they take training seriously, and learn the module and learn what to train. They can do the training better themselves because they'll train the technicians, then they'll train the managers and they'll hold the technicians accountable for exactly how they want to do the training. So I tell this to companies all the time, happy to train your technicians, but unless we've got you structured right, unless we've got your management team, your call-by-call manager or your senior manager or your dispatcher, which could be a manager, unless they're trained and know exactly what to hold accountable, you're wasting your money. Your thoughts? And, and it's great that you, you know, that's one of the things why we like each, each other. We're straight shooters. And um, yeah, I don't want anybody's money. You know, I don't need your money, frankly. Uh, I made enough money in my first business and I do this work because I love it. And I also feel an obligation to get back. Now, I got paid really well for the years that I was out there. But again, you weren't making the difference for me. And uh, my father had a great line. Uh, he goes, sometimes, Al, what you get for nothing is worth less than that. <laughs> because you have to pay up for what you, what you really need. The point being is that, you know, when I first started doing this training, my competition said to me, we'll pay you to train our guys. Listen to that. And I said to them, I could not be wearing my shirt. I will never talk about my company. And I will put it in a different building. But they will fall in love with me and not you. And when they go back to your company, if you're not living by the things that I taught them and you don't have this enforcement or, like you said, accountability, it's useless mm. for you. So that's not what you need to do. And I, even like when I did sales training with guys, I came to do sales training with a lot of guys because I love sales. And the only reason I got so good at operations and staffing is because my team was really good at blowing up all my great sales. <laughs> so I had to stop and go fix it. But when I would go to sales training, I told the owners and managers, I'm coming here to teach you the program. Yes, the techs will be in the room, but they're like a moving train. I don't know how many will stay and how many will go. But if you don't understand this, like flipping the hood up on a car and understand what the engine does, that's what I'm coming to do with you. So that when I'm gone and long gone from this business, you can be running this program week after week after week so that it gets ingrained into the culture. So I am totally on board with what you're saying. Yeah, that's good. It's just, um, and and look, it was always frustrating for me um, and I don't want to talk how much it used to cost me to bring the likes <laughs> no, I, of, I, of Charlie or Joe <laughs> or any of the great trainers. It cost a lot of money for me to bring them down under. And yes, I, they, I, I would like to use the word invested. Yeah, invested. Yep. Invest, but training is an investment. So that's, that's probably, that's, I think one, it's the best money you'll ever spend. Yep. One of the best um, investments that we can make. And what's the, what's the old saying that has been going around for years. Oh, yes. Um, I, wait, wait, I got it. Hello. I'm going to let you say it. Yeah, You've read yeah, my yeah. mind. Yeah, what if I train them and they leave? Or what if you don't train them and they stay? 
That's funny. We didn't rehearse this. Anyone that's listening, no, that I, was I Al reading my mind. It's a bit weird, right? Because you're in New York. I'm uh, in- you know, we, 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 it's any of us who've been out there in the field the long enough have known all of the real things. And it's true. Yeah. It's really dumb. And Something it's really else, dumb, Al. Like, yeah. I want to, I want to go back to the org charts. Now, I know I've talked to Tommy about this before. And and one of the things I did when I was in his podcast, and I'm gonna have to bring that to life again, because I think it was a well, I'm gonna have to bring it um and 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 let let everyone that I know say go and listen to this this version of podcast. I think it was 2019. We talked about I think the subject was um changing the belief system of the technicians by showing them how much it actually costs to run a company. But yes. that's not the question I have for you. The the question I have is, is around um, org charts and the difference between an org chart and an accountability chart. Now, I, I don't know if you know or not, and I know I've, I've talked to Tommy about this. We've been through, well, I've been through five, six years of EOS training, Gino Whitman's yeah, Whitman, pro- yeah. program. And they the first thing they did was, to show us how to build an accountability chart and the the difference between the accountability chart and an org chart was that each position had a had a position description and it was a big chart like you had to you had to um it it, it was basically the roles and the duties of each position in that company is that something that you recommend or you do or you do it a little bit differently yeah i do it a little bit differently because the boxes have a reporting order or accountability and their definition, or instead of job description, is the manual. And the reason I went to manuals years ago, because I spoke to my staff, and they told me that they hated bulleted descriptions, mm. because every bulleted description I've ever seen has etc. And then, you know, so whatever I can decide to add, and it's never really defined when they signed up. And we give them another job, and they feel put upon because they didn't agree to that. So what we have instead is an operating manual that covers the box. And it says it's a living manual. And when the living manual changes, your job description changes. And it has that accountability for what they must do. And for those who report to them, what they must oversee. Hmm. So it's kind of the two of them together. It doesn't, this isn't meant to confuse any of you that are listening. What it is meant to do is pick one thing and go that way. Because one of the most dangerous things you can do is start pulling pieces from all over that don't fit together. What's I've always called in my book, Frankenstein, or the other example I use, if I gave you the power to build your dream car, would you have a Ford chassis, Toyota engine, Hyundai seats? Hopefully not. No. So yeah, if you're going down through that system, now that said, there are a lot of EOS members in my company because they understand that same idea. So this box reports to this box. This yep. is what they do. This is what they oversee. Yes, and each box is responsible, but. The difference is, I believe, in a bottom-up company versus a top-down. And a lot of the next star shops that I went to, because I was kind of their graduating class, is uh, they wanted to know. So the first day when they paid me a lot of money, by the way. So when I would come in right away. As the they should, thing, right? And one of the first things they go is, oh, what should my managers do? What should my managers do? And finally, I just put my pen down and look at them and I go, right now, nothing. Which you can imagine thrilled them immensely when I would say nothing. I said, the reason is their first, second, and third job is to hold everyone who reports to them to own their box, to be going by their manual and the associated training. And then yes, I have more things for them to do. 
But right now you want these top managers to somehow magically make everything work. And that's the difference in the two things. Top manager, top down management versus my philosophy of bottom up. I like it. See, what one of the one of the things I've I've got um quite a few companies that are saying, Oh, can you can you can you share me your org chart when you're at two million? Can you share it with me at five, at ten, at fifteen? I'm thinking, well, I can share them with you, but I think they might confuse you because there's a lot of positions there. So what I recommend if you're a small company, and you're right, you're wearing the owner is usually wearing, well, he starts off, he wears every freaking hat in the business. Every freaking hat. And so why not, like, you can get, I think PowerPoint does it. You can actually get an org chart builder. You can get PowerPoint. You can start. Oh, there's a lot. You can, you can build it. Yeah, box box and Word Excel does and it. Yeah, there's a and lot. just build um, it, build it yeah, one well, box at a time. Um, yeah. and And have a look at all the positions you're doing and then go, right, which... Are these these twenty seven positions that I'm doing? Do I want to give up first? Uh, and that might be the account the accounting box. Well, we yeah. can we can we can attach a bookkeeper to that to start with. It might be I don't want to answer the phone, so we can look at that box. But it's just getting a bit of an understanding and mapping out that org chart how you would like it to be in maybe three to five years time. And I'd like you to expand on that. Al, yeah, you're so the expert, not the me. Or, the box or chart again is from one million to, to two hundred million today. Those are the boxes it takes to run the company. It does not mean that there's a person for every box. No, even at some of the largest companies, it's very common that one person occupies different boxes. The difference is, is they know when they're doing this activity, they're in this box, and mm. when they stop doing this activity and they do this activity, they're in the other box. So for small companies that I've coached, I basically what you just said is, you know, what is the biggest time drain on you? What is it that you could bring somebody in that could answer the phones or dispatch, you know, and, and that would give you freed up that you can do payroll? Or would you rather give uh, accounts receivable, accounts payable away and answer the phones and dispatch yourself? But by knowing all of the boxes, in my opinion, because they all happen and, and you are filling all those boxes, you are in a better position to know what you can begin to fill what you can still own and work your way out of those boxes. Ellen and I, Ellen Rohr that is, we, we believe there are only two positions on the org chart you can never give away as an owner. I don't care what size you get to. The number one is financial manager. It doesn't mean you have to create any finances because the end of it is it's your money. And if you don't know the business basics, then anybody who works for you in the accounting or outside team is going to be able to pull the wool over your eyes and you won't know till too late. So you need to trust that the numbers that are being handed up to you are correct and you can verify them and then deliver it on time. Those are the three things, which is why you sit in financial manager. And then you can make good business decisions on real numbers, not on opinions. And then marketing manager. You don't have to create a marketing campaign. But ultimately, you need to make sure that there's a, what I call a bathtub full of calls, the right amount of calls from the right customer at the right time. And if your CSRs are bad, the drain is wide open. Mm. So the goal is to slow that down. And the goal actually is to make more calls than you can humanly do in a day. And for those companies who are small, they're thinking, oh, that would be so stressful. I get it. Here's what I have to share with you is if 
you have more calls than you can humanly do in a day, I can fix that. Charge more. Decide to work in less areas. Do yeah. the right tasks that you should be doing and then have a pipeline of techs getting made from apprentice to junior tech, junior tech to senior tech, so that you can be catching up to this thing. That's a much better problem to solve. And it actually causes you to grow and become more profitable. Yeah, look, um, definitely. And I look through the growth of our companies. Um, sometimes we had 80% growth in a year, which does put a bit of strain on the business. But um, for me, having more calls that we can do just meant we need we need to be bringing we need to be recruiting faster and bringing in techs yes. and training them, getting ready because I believe that you know you bring in a new person, you might have a different view, and I'd love to hear it. Um, that you know we we used to allow about one month before we let that technician loose in the field by putting him through all the different positions and training him thoroughly on what he needed to do. So. Um, I recommend about a month. You might you might say no, that. No, I, I think you know if you're talking about an experienced tech from another company, that you know, years ago uh, we weren't as enlightened as we are today. Years ago we used to hire in desperation because, you know, one day somebody would leave their keys on the truck and we go, "Is is Alan gone? Is he coming back?" <laughs> and so my brother Marty nicknamed our hiring as the mirror test, which meant if you could fog a mirror, you're hired. So we would just throw the keys at you and hope that you would go out and figure it out. But ultimately, we got smarter. And thanks to Nextar, was always recruiting, always hiring, always orienting, which is what you're speaking to in the month, always training. And then the part that everyone forgets is always retaining. We figure they're on the team until they're not. Yeah. If you do a really good job at hiring, orienting, training, then the ability to retain them gets better. But it still takes work to do that. And so that's what we did, but you need to have a structured orientation, even for experienced guys, because you want them to understand the ABC way that you do your work and how you sell in your manner and how you keep yourself, your truck, the job sites, how you close out a call the right way. These are things just because they worked at another company doesn't work. Now, ultimately, we, all, we realized that there were always two knuckleheads that we would be happy to get rid of which is why we spent a lot of time on recruiting. Mm. So we did periodically hire experienced Yes. <laughs> that word actually it, works. I'm trying to keep it clean, well. Alan. I was trained. No, 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 it's perfect. So it's 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 really, and you and all of you who are listening, you know what I mean. You tolerate their misbehavior because you don't have you don't have anybody else. Yep. So, but when we always had three to five apprentices in the pipeline, getting ready to go to apprentice to junior tech training together and getting in their trucks, and we had the next wave right behind them. And so that really changes the dynamic. Having said that, because you know Ellen Rohr, and you know my Zoom Drain franchise, Yep. today they crank out 20 techs at a time, 2-0, 20. Nice. The most I ever cranked out was five, and I thought that was spectacular. And so the end of this story, Tommy Mello, the great Tommy Mello, A1 Garage, he is now cranking out 50 5-0 techs at a time. Love it. Go, Tommy. Well, thank you, Al. Look, we're uh, we're nearly at the end, and I've I've thoroughly enjoyed this as I as always as I've have every podcast I've ever done with you, as well as the time that we spent down under in Sydney, and and we've caught up at quite a few events over the years too. And uh, 
I, I, um, I am very grateful for you and what you do for the industry. And uh, I want to thank you again. So I'll probably close out with, I ask everyone the same question. I probably did this last time, a book that you're currently engaged with, engaged in, as well as how does everyone get a hold of our levy? So this one is actually <laughs> one of uh, Tommy's mentors, Joe Polish. I know Joe. What's in it for them, yeah. I've seen him a couple of times on the stage because I've been on the stage with him at Tommy's events. He's great. And he's well, he's got a phenomenal story, but the book is really good. The book is really good. And so I, I think it. that's really one thing. <clears throat> as far as reaching out to me is the number seven powercontractor.com. There's a connect with us on the page. Um, you're welcome to email me at al at the number seven powercontractor.com. And I'm happy to talk to you. I do set up a free 30 minute, whatever I can do because like I say, I'm here to give back to the industry. That was my goal. I love it, Al. Thank you again, my friend. And I Thank send you. everyone your way that really wants to get serious with their business and and have a $200 million plus whatever, plumbing, electrical, HVAC, or even garage. Commercial, commercial roofing, kitchen cabinetry, <laughs> and a commercial photographer. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you, Al. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you. Unfortunately, I can't make it to Tommy's upcoming event. I'm happy to, to promote it for him, but it conflicts with stuff that I've already got on. And plus I'm heading back down under for a little bit. And, uh, but anyway, I'm sure it'll be a phenomenal event. And uh, yeah, it was really great to to spend time with Tommy in Phoenix last week. So thanks again, my friend. And uh, I look forward to catching you on another podcast soon. Sounds great. Thanks guys. Cheers Al.